Our scripture lesson for this evening, Ash Wednesday, comes from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 and 12 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for the Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether the Lord will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even the infants at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the people, where is their God? The word of the Lord. Anybody else feel like it's way too early in the service to be to this point already? Or is that just me? I'm like, wait, we're in the sermon already? <laughs> Little side note. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I am very much a creature of habit. And the older I get, the more and more I start to notice things like this happen. Now, there's something that I tend to do every time I walk into my office to start the workday. And that's to take all the stuff out of my pockets and just set it on my desk because I don't need all the stuff in my pockets. So my wallet comes out and it goes there on the, the corner of the desk and my keys come out. And if I've got sunglasses on my head, they go down there and, and uh, my phone goes out there. Basically, everything sits right on that front corner, the one nearest to the door. And then when it's time to leave, whether I'm getting up to go to lunch or if I'm you know, calling it a day and heading out, I get up from my desk and I grab all the things that are right there on the corner and I put them back in my pockets and I pull my door shut and I walk on out and, she okay? She's good, okay, sorry, we had a wipe out there. So I got all this stuff and I put it in my pockets and away I go and everything's really, really fine and good. And I've kind of gotten in the habit of just knowing that everything I need is sitting right there on that corner and so I don't do the old trick. I used to do this when I was younger, and maybe, maybe you recognize this. Does anybody else used to do this? You know what I'm doing when I, okay, keys, yep, phone, yep, wallet, yep, checkbook, yep. Now I don't actually carry a checkbook anymore, but I used to do that all the time. Now I don't do it, especially when I'm, when I'm leaving there, because everything that I need to take with me is sitting right there on the corner of the desk. Usually. Yesterday, it was lunchtime, and I did exactly the stuff that I'm talking about. I got up, and I grabbed all the stuff that was sitting there on the corner of the desk, and I pulled the door shut, and I turned the lights off, and I walked out the front door and went across the parking lot to then take all of that stuff right back out of my pockets and throw it on the counter as I was home for lunch, only to realize 
I don't have my phone because I was charging my phone in my office, and when I do that, it's sitting over here instead of here. And habit dictated that I didn't even pay attention to the phone that was over there, and I didn't discover it until I was on the other side of the parking lot. So what did I have to do? Yep, I had to turn around and walk right back over here and get my phone. And you would think that I would learn my lesson. I did the exact same thing again today. So apparently I'm making a habit out of forgetting things. It's old age. Oh, boy. I'm only 44. That doesn't bode well. But I want you to take this idea of, of not so much remembering, but of turning around and returning. And just kind of tuck that in the back of your minds. We'll come back. It's Ash Wednesday. Now, what's interesting about the assigned uh, scripture lessons for Ash Wednesday, regardless of the year, they're always the same. And, and maybe you've noticed this over the years. Maybe you haven't. It's okay if you haven't. But we tend to rotate which one we focus on from year to year to year so that we're not just looking at the same scripture every year. Now, of course, this time it's the, from the Old Testament book of Joel that I just read a moment ago. Now, Joel was one of the prophets one of many, many different individuals that we hear about from within the scriptures that served as the voice of God or spoke a message from God to the people. And this covers a very wide range in terms of Israel's history for when the various prophets were active. Now, within the scriptures, within the Old Testament, we have two different types of of prophets. We have what are called the major prophets, and then we have the minor prophets. And the major prophets are major simply because they wrote a lot. And they're really, really long. Think like Isaiah or think Ezekiel or think Jeremiah. They have 30, 40, 50, 60 chapters. So they're pretty lengthy. Then we've got the minor prophets who are no less important. They're just not nearly as long-winded. Joel fits the bill. Now, Joel as a whole is only three chapters long. You can read the whole thing in a couple of minutes. We don't know a whole lot about the guy. Because there's so little in there, it's really hard to, to pinpoint much of when he may have been active. We know his name, we know his dad's name, and that's about it. We think that he was probably active sometime in the period between when the Babylonian Empire wiped out Israel, which was about 600 years before Jesus, and then the rebuilding of the temple that happened about 80 or 90 years later. We think he was active sometime in the period after that, but we don't really know. What's interesting about it, though, is some of the the insight or some of the the things that Joel is talking about, some of the things that God is asking the people to do. And it sounds like God is dictating that the people should have an assembly, a solemn assembly, bring all the people together for a singular purpose, to repent and to mourn and to, to take stock of where they are. That seems to be at the heart of this. Now, I think just about every culture does this type of thing. We have celebrations, we have assemblies, we have things that bring us together for a specific purpose. And I think all cultures do this at one time or another, not simply the the Jewish culture, though they have many. We have our assemblies as well, these times when we come together. Think about Christmas and Easter. These are two real good examples for us, when a whole bunch of people come together to celebrate the same thing. Tonight, Ash Wednesday, is another one of those times. Now, it's perhaps not as popular or not as as widespread as Christmas and Easter, but we're coming together to remember some very specific things here on Ash Wednesday. 
Now, for one, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is the kickoff of the season of Lent. And in Lent, we're, we're recognizing the darkness of the world. And oftentimes, we'll say that Lent can continually darker as we move ever closer to the events of Holy Week, when Jesus is eventually arrested, and he is tortured, and he is killed, and the light of the world goes out. Because we also know that culminates, ultimately, with his resurrection on Easter. So Ash Wednesday does kick that off. But that's not the only reason that we gather here for this specific purpose. The other thing that Ash Wednesday really serves to do is for us to zero in and focus on the idea of mortality. Now, there's a practice that we do when we receive the ashes on our foreheads, and we hear the words spoken to us, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. I really appreciate this, this sentiment that lies behind Ash Wednesday and this, this focal point that we give to our own mortality. It really kind of speaks into the circle of life. And now I'm going to talk about the Lion King for just a moment because, you know, that's my favorite one to always talk about. Think about the scene when Mufasa, regal dad, is talking to his young son. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it was kind of awesome. What was I talking about? I was talking about Mufasa. Okay, he talks about the circle of life. And he talks about how we need to be respectful of all aspects of life. And he says, from the, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope, and then little Simba says, but don't we eat the antelope? He says, well, yes, we do. But then when we die, our bodies turn into the grass, and they eat the grass, so we're all connected. I was thinking about that because that's really what this idea of remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This statement speaks to the beginning of our human existence. If we go all the way back to the first part of Genesis and we hear the story of creation, we remember when God makes humanity, God takes the dirt, God takes the dust, the, the earth, and forms it into this mud creature. And I love the Hebrew. It's, it's Adamah, which kind of sounds like Adam, which kind of sounds like Adam, right? And it should. Yeah. Mm -mm. Did I just, like, spark something up? <laughs> So he makes this mud creature, and then God literally breathes the spark of life, the breath of life, into humanity. So we come from the earth. We come from the dirt. We come from the dust. And when our life is done, when this, this mortal body uh, reaches the end of life, we return to the dust. We return to the dirt. We return to the earth that we all came from. And that's what we're focusing on tonight recognizing our mortality. But one step beyond that is we also recognize the cause of it. And then hang out more in Genesis for just a little bit. In the story of the fall, when the hum humanity is disobedient to God, and as a consequence, they are cast out of the garden, and they are separated from that source of life. And the consequence of that disobedience, of that brokenness, of that sin, whatever we want to call it, the consequence is death. But the story doesn't end there. And what I appreciate a lot about what we do here in this sanctuary on Ash Wednesday is we hear that word of our own mortality. We come face to face with it. But then we recognize the next part of the story that's made possible through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus because we immediately receive Holy Communion. We remember that we are dust and the dust will we return. We remember that our own life will come to an end. But 
we also are given the means of grace. We hear that the body of Christ is broken for us and the blood of Christ is shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we recognize the importance of being forgiven people. Another aspect that's so important within our Lutheran understanding or Lutheran tradition, whatever we want to call it, is the idea of confession. Now, in worship, we do this pretty much every week. It's one of the first things we do. When we corporately come together, and together we confess that we are broken, flawed people, that we damage the relationships that we have with one another, we damage the relationships that we have with this world that we're a part of, and we damage the relationships that we have with God. That's what it means to, to confess or to repent, to be honest about the, the truth of ourselves, and in doing so, then receiving the forgiveness of God that is offered to every single one of us. What we're kicking off tonight here in the season of Lent is a time of remembrance, a time for all of us to collectively focus, not just for one day or not just for a couple of days, but for an entire 40-day period. We remember that we are a part of this broken world and that this broken world is a part of us. And that God recognized that and that God ultimately did something about it. And that will be a wonderful, wonderful celebration that we will join together in again about 40 days from now when that tomb is empty. But first, we got to go through this season. So it's my invitation for you tonight to ponder on that, to reflect on that, to recognize the truth of yourself, that you're not a perfect person, and that's okay because God has forgiven you. Amen.